Hi, and welcome back to the Forget the Wine podcast, Reclaiming the Book Club. Remember when book clubs were actually about books? Madeline and I were tired of the book club being portrayed as a thinly veiled ladies wine night in popular culture, so we decided to fight this bastardization ourselves. Join us as we examine and interpret modern novels. And okay, if you want to drink a glass of wine while you listen, we won't judge you. Well, we won't audibly judge you. Welcome to Forget the Wine, uh, Reclaiming the Book Club. My name is Madeline, and I'm currently traveling the world. Right now, I am in Wales and Cardiff, and I'm staying with a lovely couch surfing host who has a tortoise named Mr. Tumnus. Um, so I've given a tortoise a bath today, and things are going quite well. I'm really excited to be here with Laura discussing our book today. Yeah, uh, I am Laura, and I am here in Minnesota. I work a desk job in marketing, so it's fun to be able to chat with you about books after work, Um, but I am not jealous that you have to bathe a tortoise every day. (laughs) That is wild to me, and I I can't get behind it. Today, uh, we'll be discussing Angie Thomas's debut novel, The Hate You Give. And because The Hate You Give does deal pretty heavily with race and um, with police violence, we kind of wanted to just start off with a disclaimer that as two white women, both born and raised in an affluent suburb of Minnesota, I'm not sure that we're the best people to be discussing all of the topics addressed in this book, like institutional racism, police brutality, and growing up in a community where you feel unsafe. Like Those aren't topics where we have a lot of direct experience, so I'm not sure how important it is for us to add our voices to the mix there. However, um, it's a book that both Maddie and I were moved by, and we didn't want to avoid discussing it just because we felt unqualified. And I really think that this book kind of just deserves to be championed in any small way that I can champion it. And so for that reason, I'm going to try to discuss the book and its themes the best I can. And um, there was a Goodreads review that I was reading earlier today that a piece of it jumped out at me and I think it will just frame up our discussion. I'm sure The Hate You Give wasn't written so people like me i.e. white people, could better understand what it's like for a black girl like Star to live her life and experience the injustice she experienced. Even so, I did learn from Star's perspective, and I'm thankful for the author's raw portrayal. So understanding that our viewpoints are not the most important ones about this book, but still wanting, I think, to talk about it positively, I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. Anything you want to add before I go into the synopsis, Maddie? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely on the same page and I was watching an interview uh, with the author before our discussion today and um, talking about how important this book is for people not only of different ages across the board uh, things she said that stuck with me is is that um, with this this new surge of films and television and novels written um, from the Black experience, from the Black perspective. She was saying that she wants to get more mirrors out there for Black kids and, and specifically for Black girls, Black young adults, and more windows for people who aren't like them to see what it's like to be live that experience in America. And I think that is for me, it was a really important part of reading this novel is to to read something from a different perspective and a different experience. And that's, I think, one of the great things about literature is that it really gives a story to some of these topics that otherwise can remain abstract or uncomfortable for a lot of people who aren't directly living it. So I I really enjoyed reading this, this novel, and I'm really happy to discuss it with you today. Awesome. Well, just to give a super brief synopsis, The Hate You Give tells the story of Star, a 16-year-old girl from a tough neighborhood called Garden Heights, and she's the sole witness to her unarmed black friend's murder. He is shot by a cop during a routine traffic stop where he is unarmed and the audience perspective poses no threat to the officers. 
So Star is forced to cope not only with the grief that comes with losing her friend, but also the injustice of the senseless killing and the helplessness that she feels confronting a system that is seemingly trying to silence her. As all that's going on, she's dealing with a really heavy murder. She's also in high school, so she's dealing with family drama, hiding her white boyfriend from her father, bitchy girls at school, and learning to find her voice and who she is. So it is a coming of age novel and a typical kind of like YA story, but there's just some deeper things going on there as well. Yeah. And one thing to add to the synopsis that I found striking was that the setting is in a fictional place called Garden Heights. And the author meant for this fictional place to remain, to not be tied to any actually physical place in America because it represents any inner city or poverty stricken community in America. I really appreciated that because I think it allowed the themes to really shine through and the characters to really shine through while while still embodying a place that could be, that could be anywhere um, that, that has those uh, inner city poverty, really divided communities in terms of uh, race or in terms of economics. Yeah, I think that goes a long way to making it feel like it is, you know, police violence is everyone's problem. It doesn't just affect big cities. It doesn't just affect the South or the East or anywhere. And, And so I liked that she kept it without a specific location. Mm-hmm. So our characters, we can get into a little discussion of them. First, mm-hmm. we have Star, and she is 16, and she is our narrator. How did you take the Star? Yeah, I think that for me, it's just right off the bat with the opening chapter, she pulls you in right away with her. She has a really great sense of humor and a really dry sense of humor as well. So I loved her immediately. And I think that might be one of the biggest appeals of why this book pulled so many readers in is because Star is just a great character. She, and I think one of the the biggest things about Star is her her feeling of having a dual identity. So having to be one person at home and in her community and then portraying another person or having another identity at her preppy, mostly white school, both young adults, young adults especially probably, and maybe even some adults can relate to this idea of having to embody one, what they think they should be, one identity with the people close to them and then having to put on another identity in some other public spaces like maybe school or work. So that was one thing I I think that was done so well with this novel was her star's character being both relatable, but also having those those flaws that allowed her to grow and learn and, and therefore let the reader learn along with her. I love that about Star is that what you're saying about her acting one way at private school and one way back home. Like I think finding your identity and trying different masks and personalities on is like an integral part of being a teenager. Like anybody who just feels so confident in themselves at 16 that they know exactly who they are. <laughs> But there's an extra layer added for Star that in her home neighborhood, like there's an element of code switching to it that, um, you know, Mm -hmm. she says at at school, she'll put on a more quote unquote white persona. And when she's back at home, she'll wear a more quote unquote black persona. So it's like, well, you're already 16 and just trying to find yourself to have Mm -hmm like racial politics of how you're supposed mm-hmm. to be based on your skin color uh, layered on top of that. Uh, I, I thought that would be really challenging. Yeah. And, and several times in, in the novel, she references uh, moments where she sort of holds herself back and, and notably censors herself because she doesn't want to be perceived as the angry black girl or she doesn't want to be perceived as, you know, the hood black girl around her in her school. And but really, she's she's stifling her true self, her personality, which because she doesn't want to fall into this quote unquote stereotype. And that was an unfortunate, hopefully a part of our society that can change this idea that we automatically put people into these these brackets and these tropes based on this behavior that we're 
people are looking for and finding any excuse to find. So those there are a few moments in the novel where that struck me as well. Also, to me, something that really jumps out about Star is that she sounds like a 16-year-old, and she sounds <laughs> kind of cool. I, I read a lot of YA, <laughs> and just a few like popular books that I've read in the past couple months, like Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens or Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Those are Mm -hmm. written with teen narrators, too, but it's, like, clearly a 47-year-old writing as a (laughs) 16-year-old. And Star, given I'm 27 and not cool at all, so maybe (laughs) this is not a good representation, but her voice... Um, the technology she uses, the slang she uses, it sounded like a real 16-year-old to me. I pulled one tiny paragraph from the beginning chapter where she's talking about a school dance, and she says, Girls wear their hair colored, curled, laid, and slayed. Got me feeling basic as hell with my ponytail. Guys grind so close to girls, they just about need condoms. And that, to me, just struck me as, like, a genuine young voice, like, calling her basic, saying their hair is slayed. Like, that's what I think the teens are doing based on Instagram (laughs) comments. But I found a quote from the author in an interview after I was kind of looking at the slang she used, saying that she had to keep sending her editors, like, links to Urban Dictionary to teach them, like, what the word lit meant. And I thought that was so funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. That's so funny you pulled out that quote because I had that exact same thing underlined in my notes when we were starting the conversation oh, about really? Star. Yeah, the same exact two sentences, I think, because that really, that's within the first couple pages of the book. And, and I think it, 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 really right away you're delved into her voice and to the credit of the author that she was able to capture that and she was writing she said she was writing not she didn't want to talk at teenagers she wanted to be talking with them so I think the that the voice of star really just does that so well and that's one of the most successful pieces of of her writing and of this novel is that so her character is just so authentic and yeah there was another there was another moment I wanted to point out with Star and and her just her voice it's towards actually the end of the novel where they're um, having a party and her mom is trying to get her to dance with with all their family and stuff and uh, Star says I stay still on purpose dictator or not her mom, she's not going to make me dance. Kenya and Maya egg her on and egging me on. Never thought they'd team up, team up against me. Shoot, before I know it, I'm wobbling. I have duck lips too, so you know I'm feeling it. And that was just, um, you really feel like, oh yeah, she is starting to feel the music. Like you're there with her. And it's like, oh yeah, I make the, those faces when I start to get into dancing too. And she just captured it so well, really using like the voice of that generation. Uh, because you're right, Laura, I'm not cool either. And <laughs> <laughs> I need to be like, re- I have to reach out to my 17 and 19 year old brothers a lot to know what <laughs> abbreviations are on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And I-, I thought it was so important that Star had this like really vibrant personality because the subject matter of the book is so heavy like obviously it is centered around a teenage unarmed black boy getting killed by the police like that could really make it a tough read so stars like inner joy and sparkling personality at least helped me kind of get through the story without feeling so bogged down yeah and another thing that helped helped with the dark subject matter, her family, um, her familial ties, and the strong characters that are built in her family. Her father, who is a gang member who went to jail, turned straight, now owns a store. And he's just such a pillar of stability in her life. And I think speaks through, speaks with a very strong moral center throughout the story and is always, always making an effort to do what's right for his family, what's right for his community. And her mother, who's a nurse, and um, her, her two brothers are all so important to Star. And I thought having that 
close familial bond and, and that stability was really important for her story because otherwise I, I can't imagine an alternative, I think, to see live through the trauma of seeing your best friend die and witnessing it. Not only was Khalil murdered, but she witnessed the murder of her other best friend at 10 years old um, in a drive-by shooting to have gone through such traumatic, violent events already at such a young age. I think it was really important important that uh, it seemed to fit in um, really importantly that she had a strong family supporting her. Yeah, it was so nice that she had a loving base when there's all this chaos around her. I thought it was so sweet how she said her parents were OTP, like one true pair with each other. I love when kids like see their parents romantic relationship. I think that's really sweet. And also the portrayal of her older brother, Seven, who's a real protector for her and her step-siblings, was great. He's Mm -hmm. such a perfect YA archetype of the guy who's beautiful and noble (laughs) and protective, but, like, still cool, not a goody-goody. I was just like, (laughs) oh, man, if I was 16 and reading this, I would be in love with Seven. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely felt that love for seven too like he had a very tumultuous relationship with his mother and seeing him sort of living through that and still carrying the, this strong center like this the father like their father of always trying to do what's right and always trying to protect his family and be there for his for all of his siblings it was really um, nice seeing his character throughout the story as well so let's talk a little bit about Khalil who's the center of our story even though we don't get to spend much time with him he is killed in the first maybe 30 pages of the book but Khalil's a boy that was a family friend of stars and it seemed like maybe she always like harbored a bit of a crush on him and mm-hmm. he was giving her a ride home from a party they were pulled over as part of a routine traffic stop i believe he had a comb in his pocket that the police mistook for a gun that was their explanation and he was shot three times in the back so shortly after he is murdered stories start to come out in the media um, as we've seen in real life that kind of try to tear down Khalil's character there's mm-hmm. stories calling him a, a, a thug and gangbanger and a drug dealer so what what were your impressions I know it was um, crucial to the plot that he was left the story so early in the book but I really wish we got to spend more time with him because he also uh, he had a really warm strong personality and you could tell how important he was to star and she was suspicious of some of the of the criminal activity it seemed as if he had started to get himself into and you know wondering why her friend had gone down that path um, but as we later find out he was doing it to protect his mother, who was, I believe, addicted to drugs. And he had gone into some of that criminal activity because he was protecting her and looking out for her and putting his family first. So I think that was really important to the author because she was trying to show how important these community bonds are. And she was trying to show, really personify the character of of the boy, of the young man who was killed, which um, I think just reading some of her interviews, she was really upset and disappointed by and and these many uh, murders, police killings that we've seen uh, people, they, the mass media sort of jumps onto this excuse of, oh, well, he was a thug. He was a, he was a, a menace to society, but really trying to dig into the background of that and show how important the community is and how strong those bonds are. I'm also sort of of two minds about that plot because it, it could have been interesting as well if he was just dealing drugs and he didn't have this like noble obligation to feed his family, mm-hmm. he still wouldn't have deserved to die or been shot, you know? So I thought yeah. it could have been interesting um, to not make him like a hero mm-hmm. and explore that part. Yeah, yeah, because the bottom line is like with, with what happened in that scene of him, you know, having a hairbrush and being shot and killed, um, that 
yeah, that shouldn't have anything to do with who he was or what his background was. It should be that shouldn't come into play with the actual murder or killing that took place. I, I'm not sure if like that's something that the author would have considered or if um, maybe it was suggested in the editing process. And I think that she she had started with writing some sorts short stories about Khalil and their and Garden Heights and creative writing. And so I think that she may have been starting from his perspective and therefore did have some some strong connection, uh, some strong um, positive connections with him and did see him as sort of a protagonist or hero just when she started coming up with the ideas for this book. So maybe that's why it was important to her that he did have those familial and um, noble motives. Oh, Um, yeah. And not to criticize an author for giving her character the background that she, you don't believe him to have. I just think that it's still he didn't need that to have like a redemptive arc like mm-hmm. regardless what happened to him was tragic and wrong so it just kind of felt like piling on at some points that he was like the best guy ever just trying to help out his grandma and uh he didn't yeah. join a gang etc cetera, etc cetera. let's talk a little bit about the other side of star's life how she separates it her friends from school and let's start with chris her boyfriend who is notably white she makes you know much of him being white and her being afraid to introduce him to her father because of his race did you like how the relationship with chris was written yeah i think it was a very this for me felt very ya because chris was the perfect boyfriend like the perfect 16 year old boyfriend that any girl could ask for he was really attentive to star and always listening to her and wanting to understand her and you know obviously cared for her so much but he was also really cool and popular and you know would rap like the fresh prince of bel-air lyrics to her um and be very public with his displays of affection so for for me it was it was really sweet reading their relationship and it it was fun because he he was such a perfect perfect boyfriend even though it was kind of it felt a little bit came on pretty strong <laughs> but i think that's kind of important to ya is to have those have those relationships that um uh, those strong and hopefully healthy relationships that girls can see sees the good in and and see as like a healthy role model for what a relationship should be like in high school and and i think this is a difference in taste for you and i because in <laughs> high school i was like Seeking out the guys smoking behind the bleachers or whatever. That was just so much more my vibe. But like, as you're saying, oh, he was the perfect boyfriend. He was so attentive. He was popular. I'm like, wow, what a lame. (laughs) There just wasn't anything attractive or appealing to me about Chris at all. And so because of that, I just didn't think I didn't buy his chemistry with star because as we talked about, like she's super vibrant and cool. And, um, you know, even in, in the short time we get to spend with him, I thought that star had way better chemistry and flirting with Khalil. Like they kind of go back and forth and rib each other, um, Mm. and give each other some crap where every conversation with Chris is about their relationship (laughs) or it's just too much. I, I just did not have fun whenever we were spending time with Chris (laughs) and I don't, yeah, Yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah, well, I, I do agree that she seemed to have, when we got to see her and Khalil spend time together, there was definitely like a spark there that we don't necessarily, that we don't see with Chris, which again makes his, his relationship with Star, I think, even more important. But, but yeah, no, I think, I, I think it was important that Chris was there though, because I, the element of her being afraid to tell her father about it seemed to be, for me, was a really, interesting part of the plot how she was really nervous about her father finding out that she was dating a white boy and there's this point where her father finds out and 
star has to has to really uncomfortably talk to him about it, which I think, again, um, Angie Thomas did a really nice job with portraying the young adult experience with being super embarrassed to talk to her parents about her relationships. And you feel like really awkward with star as she's having these conversations. She is talking to her father about it. And he admits to her that he's he was worried because he's He's worried that he's turned her against black men or set a poor example of what a black man should be because she's dating a white boy. And she says to her father, you haven't set a good example of what a black man should be. You've set a good example of what a man should be. Um, And that line for me was really nice because she's saying like, you have been a good man. And that's like, that's what's important to me. I've loved her relationship with her dad and it comes through a lot in the novel. But I think that was, to me, it seems like a big reason that it'd be important that she is dating a a white boy um, in the plot. Yeah. And one thing I did like was that Chris was generally, like, a good dude. Like, he asked stupid questions sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, But I think, in general, he was, like, trying to relate to Star, trying to be sensitive to her feelings as a woman and her experience as a black woman. And um, I did like that an example of how to like do your best and be a white ally and you're not going to get it right 100% of the time and when you ask a dumb question we're going to call your <laughs> dumb ass out <laughs> but like in general if you're if you're trying if you're an effort um then that's you know the best you can do yeah there was one really another really notable scene for me that stuck out in the entire book was when he, he, Chris is in the car with Star and Devante and Seven and they are calling out uh, stuff that white people do, like uh, doing things that could fucking kill them, like bungee jumping, calling Target Target. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was pretty funny. And one that I was like, oh, my gosh, this is hilarious. When they they're like, why, why are white people always splitting up in situations where they clearly need to stick together? Like, you know, when they're hiking, they split up and one of them gets eaten <laughs> by a bear or a car breaks down. They split up and one of them, you know, gets murdered by a serial killer. I thought that was a really notable um, observation. Probably Angie Thomas just through humor, making some adding some humor to the situation. But I was like, oh, that's actually kind of true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's definitely. And I think that on the opposite factor shows how important like that community and sticking together and support is, is to star and and to the people in her life. And then going further in the conversation, Chris is asking them questions and he says, why do some black people give their kids odd names? Your names aren't normal. And him just speaking through that voice of, that was such a, I think Angie Thomas gave such a good example of a moment where a white person is trying to be nice and learn something, but speaking from a very ignorant place. And, um, and like, when you read that, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's such an offensive thing to say. Um, He didn't mean anything malicious by it. Um, And I think their answer was really nice. um, How they say, like it's actually it's common and those names are common in our communities and they're they come from um, a lot of them come from uh, traditional African languages and and it's all about perspective that something that seems unusual to you doesn't mean that it is unusual period so I liked that whole scene quite a bit I thought that was a really great great thing for young adults to read and just to see how that conversation played out between them and how they could still, you know, talk through some of those really uncomfortable moments and come to like an understanding that is more illuminating. So I don't know if you, if you, if that scene stuck out to you or not. Yeah, that was a cringe moment for sure. But you saw how he like kind of got there, right? It's like, they're all going back and forth and saying like, uh, why the hell do white people kiss their dogs on the mouth? Like that's wild. (laughs) And then he tries to kind of ask a question too about names, which like I, yeah, of course, when you're reading that, you're going to have 
a reaction where you cringe and you're like, oh, buddy, that was not the right thing to say. Um, mm-hmm. And Star and her family kind of good-naturedly shut him down on that. Um <laughs> But he's also 16. This isn't a 30-year-old <laughs> who's been yes. intentionally sheltered his whole life asking this. Yes. Like, 16-year-olds have dumb assumptions about a lot of things. Like, yeah. he's not going to be an expert on cultural differences and what's appropriate to say. Um, and I thought Star and her family were good-natured about it, and he took the ribbing good-naturedly. So it ended up being a nice moment, even though it like I had to shut the book when I read it, because I was like, <laughs> don't say that. Uh, let's talk about this book in a little bit of a bigger-picture sense. Yeah. Um, how do you think Angie Thomas addressed the themes of the book and themes um, of today that people are talking about in a larger sense outside of this book? And do you think she was successful in kind of capturing the conversation um, around police brutality and, and police killing unarmed black men? Yeah, I think that that's part of the reason why this book has blown up so much and become so popular is because she was so effective in humanizing and relaying this the, issue, the Black Lives Matter movement in through a story. And I I had this quote from from Angie Thomas. I think this was in the afterword of her of the book, where she says, "I've always told stories. When I can't find a way to say the words out loud, I create characters to do it for me. It's even more important now to let young people know that they aren't alone in their frustration, fear, anger, and sadness. We must also provide glimmers of light in the midst of the darkness." So I think that for her to to really to address the, this heavy subject matter through a character, through her story, while also bringing some positivity and, and light into Star and um, showing how she does overcome and does use her voice and speak out. I think that was so it's so important, especially for why like this. YA for young adults to see. Uh, it's so different when you're just seeing signs or pr- protesting or seeing protest footage on television or watching news media read about these these issues and reading stuff online on social media and seeing all these opinions flying back and forth. Putting it in a story format allows us to digest it and, it, and putting it in a sort of a fictional universe and sphere that we can process, I think really is important to understanding the the topic and applying it to what's happening in our real reality. Yeah, I agree. And I think people who are nervous that this book is pushing an agenda of some kind don't have anything to worry about. To me, it didn't feel like there was a central argument to this book. It didn't feel like it was like a manifesto of any kind or pushing one specific viewpoint or discounting any other views it really was star's story and and like you said with the window and and mirror analogy i think that's perfect way to explain why this book is successful like i always remember as a reality tv junkie um <laughs> when pedro zamora um with who is hiv positive was on the real world clinton gave a speech and was like now we all know somebody with hiv because pedro was in our homes every week and i think that this what book... that happens yeah oh wow okay yeah, sorry that real world a... real world impact dude um, and I think that this book did the same thing. Like, it, it allows you to know Khalil and to feel the impact of his absence on his family, on his friends, and on his community. Um, and it, it's really well done in this book. The only thing I regret is that we don't get that more from the media. Um, we don't get the stories of the the real victims of these police shootings. You know, they're often twisted or yeah. assigned blame. Um, so I wish that there was more. We shouldn't have to humanize the victim. You know, uh, we should have sympathy and love and empathy just based on the fact that they're humans yeah yeah Mm -hmm. exactly but sometimes the benefit of a story and fleshing things out and seeing impact helps yeah and I think that's true 
throughout history, like having literature has been used as such a powerful tool um, to bring to there's something about having that that element of when you read, you're finding constantly finding a way to connect to the characters and to relate your life to the story, whether it's uh, purposeful while you're trying to or whether it's subconscious. So I think that the more people who are able to read these this story storytelling version of it, um, the more likely they're they are to see the issues at hand in their daily lives with, with fresh perspective and fresh eyes. Um, and I thought it was really uh, important that Emmett Till was included in the novel, that Star was posting photos of Emmett Till. Um, I didn't know anything about that history, actually, until I, I did some research on it after reading this book. Um, but it, it turns out like his death being publicized um, was really important to the civil rights movement and and the fact that his mother chose to have an open casket and those images were were made public was really um, really important to stirring and, and drawing attention to this injustice um, and then the the men who murdered him were of course they weren't convicted they later admitted to murdering him in an interview but they couldn't be like re Re, um, retried. So it, it almost seems like, a, in a way, a parallel to what's happening, in some ways, to what's happening now with these young black men and getting killed and the, the, the people who killed them are not necessarily held accountable. So it's really interesting see, looking back on that history, and it's so glaringly obvious that what happened there was wrong. And there, there was no justice in that death. And then through this story, looking at the, the the deaths that we've seen recently, thinking like, okay, now 50 years from now, what are we going to look back on and think? It doesn't seem like there's justice now either. It does seem like there's something broken in our system. Something I found significant there was Haley's not wanting to look at the brutality of, of what happened to Emmett Till. I thought that that was really parallel, maybe even for readers of this book. Like, it's so much easier to turn away from subject matter like this yeah. and exist in a bubble where you don't have to deal with that sadness and that tragedy. But I think, you know, from Star's perspective, when Haley wants to ignore that post, it's like a slap in the face to those who have suffered. It's just like not wanting to even acknowledge that pain because it causes you discomfort. Like it's it's a tough perspective to take. I think maybe the author even feels that way about her own work. She was interviewed about this being a book that might be hard to read because the subject matter was heavy and her response is so badass. She said, I'm not here to comfort you, which is like my favorite, you know, <laughs> way to respond to that question is like, she's here to tell a story and mm-hmm. um, the story has a lot of basis in reality. And if it doesn't make you feel comfortable, then okay. Like she doesn't care. So I thought there were some parallels there. Yeah, absolutely. One more theme of the book for me, just like an action item that I kind of (laughs) took took from it. There was a quote that really stood out to me that I just didn't want to leave this conversation without bringing up. Star says it in relation to something Haley says when she finally kind of decides to stand up and say something about it. That's the problem, is that we let people say stuff and they say it so much that it becomes okay for them and normal for us. What's the point of having a voice if you're going to be silent in those moments that you shouldn't be? And that was really significant for me, especially with how polarizing um, it can feel to be in a conversation with anyone about any topic heavier than like the weather in 2018. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be scary sometimes, Mm -hmm. or it can just be easier to nod and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see your perspective, or be like, oh, yeah, I mean agree to disagree um but it sounded like star was saying like hey when we let those statements go they we get used to saying them and they become accepted in society because they're let slide so much so that we really have a responsibility to like use our voice um that was kind of my biggest takeaway from the book 
Yeah, I think that is a really important message. It comes out so strong in the end when she, where her, her activist lawyer slash mentor gives her a mic and says, speak, like use your weapon is actually what she says, um, saying like our voices are important and they do need to be heard. And I think on the other side too, it's important that we are open to being like, if we, if uh, if someone says, hey, like what you just said isn't right, like it's a, or what you just said doesn't resonate with me in the right way. Like it's important that we are accepting of that feedback and not defensive. I, I think ideally, like we can all be speaking out with with firmness, but also with respect for, for other people. And I, but I think that's true, like for, for Angie Thomas and, um, for star, it, the, the element of using your voice is so important. And, and that's a theme that star struggles with throughout the whole novel is, is whether or not to speak out. So seeing her grow and overcome that fear, like you were saying, Laura, like there's a lot of fear around that, especially, in our day and age where there can be like a lot of social media fallout and there's a lot of scrutiny, but I think it, it now more than ever, it's important to call something out when it's not right and not let things slide. Sounds like both of us have a pretty positive impression of the book (laughs) and that it's given us quite a bit to think about, but um, should we dive a little bit specifically into the strengths and weaknesses of the book? How did you like the author's voice? Yeah, no, I think I, I think we've covered a lot of the things that were really strong for me. The her stars humor, the, all the pop culture references were really wonderful, um, and they fit in really well with. Um, and one thing that I found really interesting was how Angie Thomas references J.K. Rowling as one of her inspirations, and how she looked at Harry Potter as good example of characters and characterization. I think she said at one point, like in the Harry Potter series, it's really apparent that each character is the star of their own world. Mm -hmm. And that comes through very strongly in this book. And that's one thing that makes it so wonderful for me are these really vivid and interesting, complex characters that she created. Yeah. And I think we've touched on it, but I just don't want to get so bogged down in the like important subject matter and themes that the book is confronting that we ignore that it's like a really good story and sweet and it has humor and characters that I cared about. It's not at all like a plug your nose and swallow the medicine book. It's like enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It's not homework at all. It's really good. Yeah. I read this in literally one day. (laughs) Yeah. I I was like, I I started it in the morning and I unfortunately had to read it on my phone because I have eBooks while I travel, but I was swiping through my phone the entire day oh trying gosh. to like between you know eating and doing dishes and stuff um but it was it, yeah it was I could not put it down it's she created a strong plot and there was a lot of suspense and tension and good relationships between the characters where you wanted to know how their relationship was going to progress that kept me reading Yeah, and one other thing I just wanted to note about the writing was we do have a 16-year-old narrator, and to me, her voice made the really heavy scenes all the more heartbreaking. Um, Like, shortly after Khalil's death, there's a sentence where Star says, they finally put a sheet over Khalil. He can't breathe under it. I can't breathe. So this line is really simple um, and repetitive, but that I think is deceptive. I think there's like a lot going on there. It's really evocative to me. It it paints a clear picture. And then also, you know, the I can't breathe line immediately calls up thoughts of the real life tragedy of Eric Garner. Um, and to me, that was just like a harsh reminder that even though Star's story is fictional, um, there's truth to it. And it's very real for real people. So I thought that that was a really elegant like she packed a lot of emotional punch in those three simple sentences without being flowery with language. Um, and I was really impressed by that. Was there anything you didn't like about the book? Yeah. I mean, I think the main thing we covered was just 
the the length, the addition of the the plot with I think that's what made it too long for me was um, and what made it drag a little bit was was the plot with the gang members. It, it did add tension to the novel, but I think there was enough tension with the relationships with the case um, with with um, her her issues with Haley and for me like towards the end I was like okay okay like I want to know what happens but it it was drawn out longer than I was interested in in reading it but um what did you think yeah I totally agree I could have done without the subplot of like there's a very like family vendettas and Mm -hmm. and drug time and who owed jail time to who subplot And that could have just been cut for me. Um, I understand that it was probably to try to give Star some context to how she grew up and what her life was like and know how it would have been very different for her at her private school than it was for her at home. But yeah, it's like 430 pages, I think. And I think Mm -hmm. it could have been 350 and been an improvement. But that's nitpicking. I really enjoyed the book. Let's talk about a little bit about how The Hate You Give, which has been extremely successful, spent many weeks on the top of the New York Times bestseller list, fits into the bigger picture of trends in YA fiction right now. While I was kind of clicking around Twitter and other review sites researching the book, I kept seeing the hashtag own voices come up. So Uh, in relation to the hate you give. So I did a little bit of research, and it's a hashtag started by YA author Corinne DeVees, and it refers to a book written by a member of a marginalized community that it depicts. So it can refer to race, religion, disability, or sexual orientation. And it seems like that's really a quality that young adult readers are demanding in their books. They want to read books by members of marginalized communities about being a part of that marginalized community. So I thought that was like very cool. And a stat that I found was that only in in 2016, Black, Native, and Latinx authors wrote only 6% of all children in YA literature. However, this week, 50% of the books on the YA bestseller list were written by peoples of color, people of color. So it's clear there's like unfulfilled demand here. And it's really yeah. cool to see teen readership driving that. Um, and I'm curious yeah. when that will catch on with adult lit because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have yet. Absolutely. And it was really interesting. Uh, I only briefly was able to read about Angie Thomas's like first getting started with with trying to publish this book and trying to publish other work. I think at at this time, like maybe the same time, like two years ago or last year or even, it publishing and companies and firms didn't see that diverse book quote unquote diverse books as sellers. Like they didn't think that books about people of color would sell or actually this is a quote that Angie Thomas said in an interview that both Hollywood and publishing believed that black stories don't sell. Um, So the success of her novel, the totally runaway success of it really shows that those assumptions were wrong. And, and it's, I think paved like her story among others are really starting to um, knock down those, false assumptions and yeah like you said I think it's really important that young voices are being heard and and people are are it's cool to see that like young adults saying like we want more of this is having an impact on the publishing industry and one other thing that I really liked in in an interview I watched with Angie Thomas is they were talking about the fact that there's a black girl on the cover of the both the American and the UK edition and how wonderful it is for her to to have a book with a black girl on the cover and have it be like at the front of a lot of stores because it's done so well and so a black girl can walk into the bookstore and see a, a reflection of herself on the cover of a book and pick it up and um, feel valued um, and another thing that really struck me that she Angie Thomas added to that was 
that other people that um, who are not black girls see a black girl on the cover of a book and start to value black girls and black women because they're worthy enough to be front and center. So it validates black women and black girls for people who are not black. And I think that was really important to um, that was a, an element that I had not considered when I was just um when I was reflecting on it earlier and uh, yeah, it's a really important shift and I think it's going to stay. Like, I don't think it's just a anomaly of 2017, 2018. I think that's really where things are shifting. Totally. I I found a quote from author Jason Reynolds where he's talking about the movement towards more diverse voices in the literary world. And he's not a literary trend. This is an issue of our time. Um, and so I think that that's important, that it's not just like a blip on the radar and it, it's a reflection mm-hmm. of modern times and modern living. Um, and maybe literary world is just catching up to how we've all been existing. Did you want to talk about recommendations for people who like this book? Yeah. So if you, so obviously I think it's pretty clear that Laura and I would both recommend this book. Oh, um, yeah. I think it, just, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So if you also liked this book, um, a couple that I would recommend, I would definitely recommend The Sun is Also a Star uh, by Nicole Yoon. Uh, and a book about a love story that takes place in New York City, um, a young adult novel, and American Street by Ibi Zoboy, um, which is um, takes place in Detroit. Um, and similar, the protagonist is a young adult, and but she is actually uh, an immigrant from Haiti. So there's a, definitely some differences to the plot and the story, but her voice is was another really compelling. Um, narration for me. And this is actually not a book. It's a TV series. But I recently watched the Luke Cage Netflix series. It's the Marvel superhero um, storyline. And that was it. I mean, I personally really love those those series because um, it's not just like, oh, it's a superhero in a costume. It's really flawed characters who are um, navigating the um, navigating their morality of trying to choose when to be a hero and do what's right. And Luke Cage is a black man who's unbreakable. He is bulletproof. He can't be shot or stabbed. Um, so, in, and his whole story takes place in Harlem. Um, so there's something really symbolic about him being a bulletproof black man um, who's who's trying to do good in his community. So those were those are a few um, pieces that I would recommend. And one that I would recommend is When Dimple Met Rishi, and that is a YA book. And it definitely explores the lighter side of confronting cultural differences in high school. But so Dimple and Rishi are two Indian students in college, and it's a love story between them. But um, they deal with Haley's of their own, and <laughs> it kind of deals with those microaggressions nicely. And if you need a sweet picker-upper after reading The Hate You Give, I would really recommend when Dimple met Rishi. It's sweet. Awesome. Well, I think that's all I had to add to the the discussion today, Laura. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And um, again, if anyone has feedback or um, if if you have recommendations of an episode of a book that you'd like to um, delve into more, please let us know. Yeah, we've been all over the map with our book choices, so I think we're (laughs) open to anything. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Bye, guys.